You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Just a point of note, uh, we mentioned that Jim and Julia lost uh, their house, and so they're going through a lot tonight, and as a church body and a church family, this is one of those opportunities that we just get to show our love and genuine uh, support for each other, and so I think that if you have anything that you'd like to help uh, give towards their cause, we have a a benevolence fund in the church, and I think that we are doing all we can to kind of help them through this difficult time. Uh, It'll be a long process for them. And so just keep them in your prayers as they go through this. And I think that we're going to do all we can as a church family to love and support them. And I appreciate all the uh, outreach and an outpouring of, of messages and love and care for them already. And so it's been great to be able to see our, our family rally around and show what, what true and genuine godly love is all about. So, um, uh, so if you'd like to donate anything in, in their name or for their cause, uh, just let me or one of the elders know and we'll make sure that we get that to them. Um, so, uh, but yeah, continue to pray for them. Uh, in fact, let's just go ahead and pray for them right now and then we'll get into our message. Lord, we just want to lift Jim and Julie up as they have all these questions, as they have all these thoughts, as they are just broken and lost and, and wondering uh, with questions. Lord, I know that you'll provide those answers for them as they go through this. Now, Lord, I thank you for uh, the opportunity that they can walk into this place today and be surrounded by so many people who love and care for them. Thank you for this church family and what it means to them as we go through this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little bit ago, we sang the line, I will proclaim the name of glory. And though we are all singing that individually, we are also singing that collectively. I will proclaim the name of glory. One of the most amazing things about being part of God's kingdom is that there's many things that separate us. If you look and read through scriptures, one of the obvious things is time, but location, personalities, relationships, there are so many things that divide and separate us. But one of the things that really unites us and brings us together is worship. That we're all part of God's kingdom. We can come and collectively worship God as one kingdom, as one family, as one unit. And throughout history, it doesn't matter the music or the posture. It doesn't matter how it's being led. The praise goes to the same person. And the praise goes out of our hearts. And it connects us with God. And it connects us with each other. And one of the most powerful and profound and unexplainable things. As we sit here and sing together. It, it brings us together. It connects us together. And I don't know if you can go through a worship service. And being part of hearing voices raised. As we sang amazing grace. That it all binds us together as we strive to live in faith. And it gives us a lot of things to to reflect on, but it also gives us a lot of things to be thankful for and a lot of things to praise God for. We have the opportunity to praise the name of glory. And we should relish that and rejoice in that every day. That as people come together and that God is somebody that we universally love, 
And it doesn't matter our posture. It just matters our position to him. And really, one of the unique and amazing things again is how that connects across generations, across centuries, across cultures. And so as we worship here today, it gives us an idea of what it must have been like for other people to worship God throughout Scripture. And in the story of Nehemiah, we have this unique journey that we get to connect with them as they went through this phase of really being workers together. They came and built something together, and then they were also watchers together as they watched and came side by side with spear and trowel as they built together and protected each other. And then today in our chapter, we get to see the next phase of this community coming together as they get to worship together. We're going to be in chapter 12 of Nehemiah as we get to see this unique glimpse of after they have gone through all of this stuff, They've grown in this phase of 52 days of, of going from rumble to coming to this structure that they can come and, and really literally stand on top of to praise God. We get to see this journey in that process. And as we look through there, some of the key words that I want us to reflect on and observe are words like rejoice, thanksgiving, joy, Notice the musical instruments that they use. Notice their posture as they come together. Notice what they're willing to do to come together to rejoice. Because that's one of the greatest things that we get to experience together as fellow believers of faith. Is those moments of rejoicing and praising God for the journey that he's walked us through. The things that we've gotten to go through and get to see God do in us and get to see what God does through us. So today as we look at this chapter 12, we get to see the culmination of this journey that we've gone through as we've studied this book of Nehemiah. And it's a celebration at the end. I think that's important for us to always be ready to celebrate God. Sometimes it doesn't matter the circumstances. Sometimes it doesn't matter what we're going through. When we come and we bow before him and we lift up our hands and we worship him, everything else becomes a little less significant because he becomes more significant in our lives. And if you've ever been at a point where you are truly, genuinely worshiping God, you know that that is an experience and a connecting point that you cannot get anywhere else. And I can't wait to the day that we get to be in heaven, right? where we come and we are told that we get to worship together, where we get to be in God's throne room and how we get to be connected again with people throughout time, throughout history, throughout spaces, throughout cultures, throughout differences, but again, uniquely connected, worshiping God and proclaiming his glory. So today we're going to begin in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. And I just want to read this scripture, but as we go through this, I want us to really look at and kind of review and reflect and be aware of these different elements of worship that we get to see played out in this story and in this passage. And so what are the elements of worship that they do? And so maybe uh, you're an old, uh, you know, you worshiped and you've got it down and you understand all the things that are and required in worship, but maybe you're new to that. Maybe you're still trying to discover or maybe how to worship God better. 
Today, hopefully, as we journey through this together, we get to observe and see some of the different elements of worship, maybe that you can improve in or grow in or become better at as we strive to worship in a way that God desires for us to do wholeheartedly and unashamedly of him as we proclaim who he is. I think one of the most personal ways that we can connect with a God who loves us is through worship. Nehemiah 12, 27 says this, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived, and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music and cymbals and harps and lyres. So instead of having this ribbon cutting for this wall of Jerusalem, they go all out. It's like the Super Bowl halftime of this event, right? They have unloaded all the things. They've brought people in from everywhere. They've brought all the instruments that they can find. They're digging through to, you know, who is on the roster as far as the choirs, who is singing. And they are going to have this massive celebration where they come and they get to finally display what they've worked on the things that God has done the things that they have built so they have all this music they have all this celebration and they have all this joy this dedication service for this newly constructed wall they bring them together to celebrate joyfully with the dedications of songs and thanksgiving with music of cymbals and harps and lyres it's kind of the worst first worship team right up on stage as they come together and the thing that we can look at here, one of these elements of worship is the joy of worship. And really, worship should be this joyous occasion for us. And as we try to have worship better, when we wonder what our worship should feel like, we should always have that element of joy. And remember, joy isn't predicated on the things that we have experienced or are currently going through. Joy is solely sourced from God. It's this knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he has done for us in our lives. And we can have joy no matter the circumstances. Paul sits in a prison cell knowing that his life may be coming to an end soon and he joyfully praises God. We see time and time again where we can have this joyful worship despite circumstances and when the Holy Spirit is flowing through us and we can have that mindset of who God is and understanding who and what he can do through us, we can have joyful hearts with jubilant songs of thanksgiving despite our trials and troubles and if you remember these israelites have definitely had a few of those along the way in these past couple months they've gone through this but they still have this take this opportunity to magnify god and who he is and the supremely happy occasion they recall this response and they connect. And really, we're not going to highlight it on much, but the, they are connecting to somebody who was their predecessor too. They are connecting with David in the way that he ushered in the celebration of the first temple. And so they are reenacting something that they have seen done also. And they understand that worship isn't meant to be drab or boring or, or just this dragging out. It's the opportunity for us to have life and I love to see people who worship God with all of their hearts. You can see it differently through people who might be up here who just have their hearts set on worship. You can tell when someone is genuinely worshiping God and the joy that is flowing through them. 
And I think there's many times in our lives that we don't fully understand what people might be going through, but they have that joy with the right attitude to lead to right results and connect people to God. And so we get to see that here in this passage early on, these people who are praising God with this thankfulness. Going on to our next verse here, it says, Nehemiah in, in chapter or verse 30, it says, when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And I want to go off on a little rabbit trail here. This is a mini sermon within the sermon. I understand it might not fully connect, but I want us to focus on this thing because I do think it's an important element of worship is the purity of ourselves. They understood the purity of what God's expectation was. They go through this purity ceremony. And I think it's really important sometimes for us personally to ceremonially purify ourselves before we come into a place of worship. Because sometimes there's things in our lives that are causing us to have darkness or causing us to have separation or causing us to not quietly feel what God wants us to experience in a worship service because we have some things that we're holding on to or things that we aren't letting go or things that we aren't fully confessing. And we see in our lives and we know in our lives that there are things that are going on that might cause us to be impure. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 reminds us of this. It says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Make no mistake, God cares about our purity. God cares about where our heart is and where our mind is as we come before him to worship. And God knows our heart. He knows our space. He knows our place. He knows our history more than anybody else. And he wants to free us in that worship. He wants us to truly experience that joy because we understand that what happens in our lives, that we all get a little bit dirty, right? We all get a little bit filthy. We might come to Sunday and it doesn't take us before the end of Sunday or maybe Monday or Tuesday before our life starts to get a little bit dirty. Uh, And we understand what dirty looks like, right? If you have a family of kids, you understand the dirty dishes that pile up. What do we do with them? Well, if you're a teenager, you leave them there. If you are a parent, then you have to wash them. Or, you know, if you have those chores list, we know what dirty things look like. We all wear clothes and what happens to them after we wear them a few times Uh, again unless you're a middle schooler at camp you take those clothes and you wash them right and we want to remove the dirt and the smell and so we understand what dirty stuff looks like and the results of that if you want to have uh, a you know be kissably fresh you have to brush your teeth and have mint and things like that if you're going on a date you understand what the results of a dirty mouth might impact uh, different things or in a marriage or a wedding you know like the marriage the ceremony there We understand that our mouths and our teeth get dirty, and we understand how to clean them. There are so many things that we understand the consequence of sin, and we have learned through time how to get rid of that dirt, whether it be to wash them or clean them or, you know, take it to a place like a car wash, and you go through that process. We understand that there is a side of that, that when things get dirty, there is an expectation that we clean them. 
I think that we understand that very well on a physical level, but I think sometimes when we're early in our faith or maybe later on our faith, uh, there are some questions about how do we clean our soul? Because we all admit that our souls get dirty. Our hearts and our minds get dirty, but sin, it's not as easy as just running some water over it. It's not as easy as just taking it through a drive through There are moments in our lives where maybe we have wondered and maybe we have questions of how do we clean our souls? Because we understand and it unites us all that our souls get dirty. There's things that we have done, but there's also things that have been done to us that make us feel dirty, that make us feel filthy, that make us feel unclean. And there's things in our lives that as we go through it, unfortunately, as we deal with difficult things and experience hard things, either that we've done or done to us, that kind of trigger us, right? There's places that we walk in and we have these memories that are hard to deal with. We have these thoughts that are difficult. And we look around and there's just things that cause us to maybe think or feel or act different ways. And sometimes if we make wrong choices, that leads to a little bit more dirtiness. There's different places that as we have gone through life that we understand temptation is going to be tugging on us harder than maybe we can resist at times or feels that way. Or maybe we are going through some difficult things that we understand that in those places that there are going to be temptations. It might be a cabinet in your house that's filled with liquor that might cause you to maybe be drawn into that temptation where you might get a little dirty. It might be something on your phone that causes you to become a little dirty. It might be some things that pop in your mind, these words or, or feelings that you just give into that might cause you to be a little bit dirty. There's different temptation triggers for us all, and we can all easily identify them in our own lives. And it's easy to keep them hidden, and it's sometimes hard to confess, admit that we have that dirtiness. I think one of the biggest challenges, though, is just admitting that we are all dirty, because just last week, I did the same thing. And I just admitted to God last week, and how is he going to love me even though I keep doing this sin after sin? But that's one of the most amazing things about God is that he knows our dirtiness. And sometimes even though we struggle with knowing how to clean our soul, God knows infinitely well how to clean our souls. And he understands the process that if we just come and give it to him, that he can clean it. Like we would maybe take something to go to a dry cleaner, right? We, we come with these soiled clothes and we just give it to him and trust that he knows how to take care of those stains better than we ever could. He has the right formula. He has the right magic. He has the right tools, the right resources. And we come back and he gives us this fresh new clothes that we can put on once again. And those stains are gone those triggers hopefully don't return, but there is a part that we play in that. And I think we need to be purposeful in the places that we go, be purposeful in the things that we allow ourselves to see, to be purposeful in the places that we allow our mind to reflect on. Because there are things that cause us to be filthy, dirty, and unclean. And God does have that ability to clean us, and we have to be thankful that he makes them white as snow. Because he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. 
And it's really as easy as that. If you're wondering how to cleanse your soul, read scripture. Jesus says, receive me. I am a gift to you. I am God's son. And how he came to die for our sins. And so even though we can't do anything about our sins, when we give that over to Jesus, Jesus can take care of those sins for us. He can cleanse our souls. And throughout history, time and time again, Jesus has the advantage over the things that we may experience. And he can cleanse us. John 1, 7 through 9 talks about the aspect of that he is the light. And we can come to him and be open and honest And if we hand that over to him and understand that he is the light that can cleanse us, that is something that will illuminate and rid our lives of the darkness, of the dirt, of the grime, of the filth, and that he will cleanse us. Because when we can understand that Jesus and God knows how to cleanse our souls, then we understand that we're not defined by what we're done. We're we're defined by what Jesus has done. We're defined by what Jesus and God have offered to us. Our identity has changed. Our stains are removed and we are able to stand in him cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus. It's one of the most important and incredible things to know that we can go to him at the cross and he will wash our sins away. And when we take advantage of that, if we come before him and we do that, it takes care of one of the elements of worship where we can then feel pure and we can feel whole. If we just say those words and we offer our hearts to him, it can be personally, it can be collectively. If you feel like you need a journey with somebody and know what to say or what to do, you want to rely on the experience of somebody else to help you through that, find a Christian brother or sister who can do that. Otherwise, know it's as simple as connecting with God praying to him, giving him your heart, say, I want to purify myself. Would you take away these sins? Would you take away this dirt? Would you take away this filth? Would you wash my soul? And we can give those to him and know that he will purify us and make us clean. And after we do that, we have an opportunity to worship him in a brand new way away without that restriction, without that hindrance. We can have this clean soul before him and we can truly worship him for what he has done. And we can experience the amazing grace that we sang about a little bit earlier because God wants to give us that and he wants our lives to be changed by that. So I would challenge you and encourage you, maybe even right now, you need to turn out the rest of the sermon and just go to God, that's fine. Ask him to purify your soul. For the rest of us, we're going to move on in this chapter and see how else these elements of worship are. In Nehemiah 12, 31, it says this, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall, and I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. And we can see, hopefully, maybe this image of this. Uh, I know it's a little bit hard to see, but if you, if you want to do your Googling this week, uh, you can look at this a little bit closer. It literally shows you the route that these two different groups go. 
They come together and they split and they start at the bottom and they kind of one group goes up along one wall and the other goes up along the other and they meet again outside of the temple. How exciting would that have been? to follow and hear these different people as they proclaim and sing worship songs along the walls of Jerusalem that they had built, these sturdy walls that the critics had said were going to crumble and were going to fall. They get to come and they get to celebrate together. It must have been quite the scene, something that we can't ever replicate, and it must have felt a certain way for them to get to worship in front of the temple once again with this rejoicing and we get to see that there was a purpose in their worship. As they're making, as they're coming together, there is a purpose. As they go on this route, there is a purpose. As they surround and are in front of the temple, there is a purpose. And celebration was their primary purpose of their worship. This thankfulness was part of their worship. They would have been working and not having this for hundreds of years. And to get to come together and celebrate in front of a temple was the fulfillment of their purpose of worship. When we come in here every Sunday morning, there is purpose to our worship. We are here to worship God. And if we come with that mindset, if we come with that intent, then we are going to get a whole lot more out of our worship service as we sing with purpose. And so that is an element that is so important as we worship. What is your intention? Where is your mind? Where is your heart as you come in to celebrate? As you journey from your home to here, what is that like? Maybe you need to do a little pre-warm-up, right? Maybe you need to listen to some worship songs before you get here to get your mind right. Maybe you need to read some scriptures. I don't know if you need to pray before you leave your house or pray before you come in. There might be different ways to do that. But as we gather together, as we meet at the temple... As we meet in this sanctuary, it's a pretty awesome thing when we come together and we worship and celebrate together. It's unlike anything else that we can find anywhere else. And it should be something that we celebrate. As we continue on uh, in the uh, verses 36 through 37, we see this. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the city steps to the city of David on the ascent of the wall and passed above the site of David's place to the water gate to the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half of the people past the tower of ovens to the broad wall over the gates of Ephraim over the fish gate, the tower of Hanel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half of the officials. The choirs sang under the direction of Jeroziah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them many great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of the rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. What a wonderful experience. These witnesses of worship. We see these leaders coming together. We see the people coming together. We see the, the women and the children coming together. We have these witnesses of the worship. And it was important for these people to see and touch the walls during this dedication service. It was a visual reminder of what God's faithfulness looked like. We also see the people who were bearing witness and watching the world that God had done the work in. 
And they understood who needed to be glorified. They understood who needed to be praised. They understood the blessings that God had given to them as they come together into this place of his presence. And they get to worship God. What a wonderful element of worship, getting to be with other witnesses. Verse 45 says this, they performed the service of their God in the service of purification, as did the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. So another element is the response of worship. These concluding verses present us with another aspect of authentic worship, the offering of ourselves and of our time and our treasures and our talents. You see all these people giving so much to God because they were able to connect with God. It's this organized, specific, grateful, universal worship service as they come and they give their gifts and they give their offerings and they give of themselves because God is worth it and he is worthy of our praise. We see this response of all of these people and you know, in our lives, we need to respond by encouraging and challenging and understanding that we are to do good with our goods while we live so that we can be part of what God wants to do through our lives. Worship can be defined as our worth-ship. When we engage in our mind and our emotions, we will get to gratefully acknowledge the worth of our God. One of the questions we can ask ourselves as we were worshiping is how is our worship to God also our witness to others? Is my worship encouraging to others? Is my worship valuing others? Is my worship inspiring others? Because we are in this place together and we are to live our lives in a biblical way so that we can experience that, but others can be inspired and experience that as well. I'm sure we all have somebody in our life that we looked up to with the way that they were able to worship God. Somebody maybe on stage or maybe somebody standing next to you. And we wanted to worship like they did, so freely, so open, so connecting, so personal to God. Nehemiah challenges us to do that in a collective environment. And so as we come together and we gather together, we can have these different elements of our worship when we understand what the purpose is, when we understand that we can have the joy in that moment and that we can wit be witnesses together as we respond to God. So maybe the question that I want us to do before we have this final worship song together is what's keeping you from worshiping with a pure heart and a full mind and a loving heart? I hope that as we come together and we have this final worship song, that we can do all of these things, that we can have purpose, that we can have joy, that we can have celebration, and that we can respond to the words that we're singing because we have a God that's worthy of singing to. Again, if you need to say a prayer of purity before we get up there, uh, worship team, come on up, and we are going to have this final element of worship. And I just encourage you to let go, let God take over. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you and hopefully you can worship in a way that is freeing and unlike any other experience you've been part of if you have just given your heart to him.